Section 7, Windows 3.0 Buzz. Microsoft has finally nailed this product. Try it. You'll like it. Byte Magazine, May 1990. With spring 1990 approaching, the buzz for Windows 3 was becoming deafening within the halls of Microsoft. One of the most exciting things was seeing the new visual appearance of the product. Windows 1.0 and 2.0 were, to put it kindly, garish, or at best, excessively blocky and utilitarian. Much of this was out of necessity, as computer monitors only displayed about the equivalent number of pixels of one single app icon on today's iPhone, and only had access to 16 colors, or no colors at all. Windows 3.0 also improved overlapping windows, like on Macintosh, which made a huge difference in how the product felt. The online version includes a screenshot from a video, which was a review of, of Windows 3.0 on Computer Chronicles, the wonderful PBS show from the era. The review shows the color picker from the product, which was one of the new elements that was very exciting because it was the first time we could really do that. I encourage you to see that video in the online version. Windows 3.0 was the first integrated release of Windows, meaning sold along with MS-DOS on a new PC. The notion that Windows was an operating environment added to MS-DOS was giving way to Windows, the operating system. While seemingly arcane technical jargon, the change in vocabulary was also a change in how the product was sold to computer makers and how software developers could think about Windows. Windows coming with a new PC was meant it was no longer a question developers would need to ponder when deciding how to write software. The landscape was changing from IBM-compatible PCs to Windows-compatible PCs. This was huge. To emphasize this point, the company scheduled a major, for Microsoft, press event in New York in May 1990. What was months earlier a side project was now front and center for the whole industry. While Microsoft had previously held launch events at trade shows, this was one of the earliest examples, and certainly the most expensive, of a major event for a single Microsoft product. The event was going to be monumental for the entire company, except perhaps for the people working on OS2. We were all using OS2 every day as a main development machine, and many people were working hard, but struggling to get Word and Excel working on it. But it was also viewed with a good deal of skepticism internally. Much of this was because of the stories that made their way over to apps from systems about working with IBM and the disconnect between engineering cultures, but also our own experience in the poor quality and difficulty in using the product. The online version has an article from New York Times from May 9th, 1990, just before launch. And you can see the skepticism in the article. The title is, Microsoft Tries Again to Set a Standard. There were many stories of IBM's dysfunction that were common knowledge. IBM used to measure their programmers on lines of code produced. More lines meant higher productivity. Except Microsoft believed fewer lines of code to create the same feature was better. IBM thought Microsoft engineers were less productive, while Microsoft IBM thought IBM engineers produced bloated code. Microsoft was young and confident. IBM was experienced. While IBM was a few decades into writing software, their experience was rooted in making highly custom and highly reliable mainframe software, software over very long periods of time. The reality was Microsoft was at peak productivity for new lines of code being written for PCs, but we were still very early in figuring out a reproducible process for releasing products, and of course we continue to have quality problems and scheduling missteps. 
Bilge even noted our challenges in releasing software on time as he walked on stage at the event, saying that today Microsoft is announcing the completion of Windows 3.0. And he joked, had the product not been done, hosting such a big event would have been a bit of an extravagant way to announce a delay in the schedule, to a mumbled laughter. The deep tension between Microsoft and IBM was hardly visible to us, and frankly, the industry was geared towards a world with many competing computing platforms. Nearly every article about Windows viewed the product as a stepping stone to the more modern OS 2 that would shed its connection to 8-bit MS-DOS. No one was anticipating Windows 3.0 becoming a de facto standard. Certainly no one at our daily lunch table. We increasingly knew Windows 3.0 was an exciting product, but we also knew that Microsoft had committed to a joint development project with IBM, a company with perhaps 100 times the size of Microsoft. None of us really had a clue just how tense the relationship between Microsoft and IBM was becoming, while we continued to just find ways to absorb the complexities of OS 2, Macintosh, and now Windows 3.0. Along with Windows 3.0, Microsoft demonstrated a new release of Excel for Windows, Excel 3.0, an updated ver Word version 1.1, and the first version of PowerPoint for Windows, version 2.0. The PC industry was a version number machine. Literally everything was a 1.0 or a 5.0, or debating whether a product was a 0.1 or a 0.5 or an A release. It was the source of marketing games such as Big Upgrade in version 2.1, and notorious for cynicism such as Avoid a 1.0 or Wait for the A release. Microsoft was a varsity player in this world of confusing version numbers and product names, and we were just getting started. Those updates were just the software from Microsoft. The platform marketing team, which in the software industry had become known as evangelism, a term pioneered by Apple, had successfully wooed hundreds of independent software vendors to show off their latest products on the newest Windows. The Windows 3.0 event included mentions of many of the biggest names of the day, including Corel, Aldis, Iris, makers of what would eventually become Lotus Notes, and Crosstalk. Noticeably absent with Windows products were WordPerfect, Ashton Tate, and Lotus, the leading applications for MS-DOS. Also at the ready were hundreds of hardware companies ready to deliver a full range of compatible computer systems, components, and peripherals. While often overlooked, the ability to have hardware and the required software to make printers, displays, and a host of accessories work with Windows was an achievement equal in magnitude to applications. Windows 3.0 seemed to have everything that OS 2 did not. There were compatible PCs. There were new applications. There were supporting peripherals. It had the pricing and distribution too. The fact that it ran on as little as one megabyte of memory, though really two were better, and also ran all existing MS-DOS applications even better than they ran before, made for an incredibly compelling launch. Windows 3.0 represented a step function change in the PC. The clunky world of obscure commands and text-based screens would give way to colorful overlapping windows and a mouse, something that Macintosh had for the past five years. While the PC was catching up in capabilities, it was still outselling Macintosh by more than 15 to one. What the PC lacked in ease of use and elegance, it more than made up for in lower cost hardware, a much broader base of support from software makers, and a wide array of peripherals and PCs. The launch event was satellite broadcast to a conference room around the campus. For most of us, the idea of seeing Microsoft on a live video feed like this was kind of crazy. While certainly the company was one of the biggest and brightest stars around, 
the world of technology and software was still a relative blip in the economy. Bill Gates was hardly a household name. About 15% of U.S. households owned a personal computer in 1989, and worldwide, about 17 million PC compatibles were sold. In 1989 was the first year more than 1 million Macintosh computers were sold. The Macintosh always had an outsized influence, and it's worth noting that Word and Excel were selling to most of those Macintoshes, which was not the case for Microsoft apps on PC compatibles. The online version has a screen capture of Bill G. presenting Windows 3.0 at the New York Large event on May 22, 1999. There is a link to some of those portions of the event online at the Microsoft website. The trade press, which we devoured every week in tabloid-sized print magazines at the library, senior executives were permitted to have their own subscriptions, but regular folks had to make their way to the library, covered every development of Windows and OS 2 as though both operating systems were inevitable. There's a full-page screenshot of InfoWorld from May of 1991 after the launch. Windows, OS 2, the debate is still a hot topic. Since he knew the system teams were hard at work at both Windows and OS 2, we had no other source of information to counter the narrative in the trade press. It is interesting to consider how we were influenced by what we read in the trade press when there was so little else for us to go on. Little did we know that Bill G. and the executive teams were deeply in an enormously complex divorce. The company was on the verge of moving away from a partnership with IBM and would go it alone with Windows. This would not happen quickly or easily. In fact, in the months leading up to the launch event, Microsoft and IBM famously issued a joint communication emphasizing that long-term, their collective efforts are squarely on OS2 and urged independent developers to follow. When we read about this in the trade press, it seemed exactly like what we were doing in apps, as Microsoft followed this advice too. Many of my friends were working super hard on OS2 versions of Word and Excel, working hard to make ET++ work on OS2 also. At the same time, making applications work for Windows was ongoing and going very well. The work on OS2 was definitely not fake, as many would say in the years to come, but it also wasn't progressing. Everything was confusing and messy to those of us just doing our jobs. Windows launched in May 1990 and sold 4 million copies in the first year. That was all the market proof the company needed to know that Windows was the future. The complex partnership yielding an equally complex OS2 product was also looking less and less strategic. The fact that progress on the product was slow and the rapid sales of Windows were attracting all the interest in the third-party developers made the positives of OS2 mostly theoretical. Who needs a better file system if all the interesting applications are on Windows? In hindsight, that day in May was somewhat surreal. I had not yet started to internalize the scale of Microsoft or its potential. To me, the company still seemed so approachable. The Microsoft I knew was not much larger than my high school, and I felt like I knew all the people in apps. In reality, we were doubling in size every year. A few weeks after Windows 3.0 launched, Microsoft closed the books on fiscal year 1990. It would be the first year the company would report sales of over $1 billion, $1.18 billion to be precise. That was almost double the revenue of either Lotus or WordPerfect, the two largest software companies. Microsoft became the first pure-play PC software company with more than $1 billion in sales. The inevitability of Windows was starting to sink in over the summer. Bill G. always used to tell the interns, and by now we had perhaps 100 that summer, that he worried Seattle summers were too nice and that people would not work. In fact, there was an incredible amount of energy that summer. 
but we were in desperate need of strategic clarification. I needed it for my own job. The company needed too. The industry, it seemed, had already decided. As far as reviews of the product, Byte Magazine concluded, on both technical grounds, Windows 3.0 succeeds brilliantly. After years of twists and turns, Microsoft has finally nailed this product. Try it, you'll like it. Still, the technology enthusiasts were fretting about OS 2. In that same review, which is included online, it, the review starts, but scratch the elegantly polished surface and you'll still find creaky old DOS. OS 2 really is much better. It's multi-threaded architecture, 32-bit programming model, high-performance file system, and rich graphics programming interface should eventually earn the respect it deserves. That was from Byte in 1990. The cover of the magazine was Windows 3.0, Who Needs OS 2? So you can see the confusion in all of that. There was definitely a feeling that we were at some sort of new beginning, an inflection point with Windows 3.0, and at the end of the first era of the personal computer. 